today we, we start a new preaching series highlighting the importance of the, the Great Commission. This month is our Missions Emphasis Month and we have the privilege of bringing over one of our missionary partners from India who will be with us um, in a couple of weeks and we look forward to being with him and spending time with him. Uh, but this whole month we are emphasizing missions and of course our part that we play as a local church. We will spend each Sunday in the month of September hearing from missionaries and hearing from the Lord through His Word about this subject of missions. But you may ask the question, why? Why are we dedicating a whole month to this subject? Why not um, just one week? Well, I, I do believe that if we love the glory of God, we'll want to do everything that we can to extend that glory to the ends of the earth. And as a church, we have a, a mission from God Himself to make disciples of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the mission of the church is the Great Commission. This is the heartbeat of our Savior. It is what we need to be, heart, our hearts need to be beating for as well as a church. And I believe that we as a church are growing in our understanding of this and in our commitment to it. November last year, we finished our preaching series through the, the book of Acts. And we could look at almost any chapter in Acts to gain insight into the mission of the church. And last week we finished the series through the book of Philippians. Philippians itself is a, is a missionary support letter. And we learned about the Philippian church, the Philippian church that supported um, the Apostle Paul as their missionary, their partner in the gospel. And they shared in the supernatural work of the apostolic ministry by supplying his everyday needs. And as ministry partners, the Philippian church partook in the fruit of Paul's labors. And when he stands before the Lord, one day Paul expects to exult in the, the harvest of souls who, like the Philippians, have ripened to maturity. And the Philippians were not just a, a conduit for, for missionary grace, they also will be recipients of the missionary reward at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that New Life Church will follow in the footsteps of the Philippian church, being conduits of missionary grace and being recipients of the missionary reward at the day of Jesus Christ. And pray with me that this month we will fall in love more with God's glory and that we will be motivated to do everything that we can, just like the Philippian church, to see God's glory extended to the ends of the earth. And today we start off our Missions Emphasis Month by looking closely at the glory of God displayed on the cross of Calvary. And today we're going to look at the sixth last saying of Jesus on the cross. Today I'm going to try and show you that these words in John chapter 19 are not just redemptive in its, in its accomplishment, but also missional in its application. The title of my sermon this morning is Redemption, Accomplished and Applied. So please take your Bibles with me. Um, this sermon today is from verse 28 to verse 30, but for context, we are going to read John chapter 19, verse 16 to verse 30. John chapter 19. Please stand with me as we read the passage of Scripture together um, in reverence to God's Word.
So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Lord, please, we ask for your help today as we study your word together. We pray, Lord, that you, was, that you would help us to understand the importance of the mission that you accomplished and how it is applied to us in our daily lives and in our church corporately. We pray the Spirit of God would teach us and help us, Lord, today to love your glory more and to want to see your glory extended to the ends of the earth. I pray for your help, Lord, as I teach today. May you be glorified by the words that I speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So I know this is a familiar Easter passage that um, we often look at during the Easter season. This year, particularly during Easter, we spent seven weeks looking at the last seven sayings of Christ on the cross. And this passage we are reading today is the, is the sixth last saying of Jesus while he hung on the cross. And once Jesus had drunk the vinegar, he cleared his throat and spoke the sixth word and said, It is finished. Those words, it is finished, in English were only really one word in the original Greek, and that was the word tetaleste. And in that culture and in that setting, the word was a, a powerful phrase. It was a, it was a terminating phrase. It was a phrase that suggested that something was absolutely 
finished. And the word was used to communicate the fact that some great work had finally been done. And that Good Friday afternoon, Jesus was using this particular word to say that everything that was set out for him to do as the Messiah had been completed. This was not a cry as much as it was a pronouncement. This was not the wail of a, of a helpless martyr. It was not the gasp of a, of a worn-out life. These were not words of defeat or words of desperation. Jesus wasn't saying, I am finished, or, oh my goodness, it's finished, it's over, I failed. That's not what he was saying. It was not even a word of relief. Jesus wasn't saying, oh, I'm glad that it's finally over with. No, this was a word of triumph. These were words of a, of a conqueror claiming victory. And I think if his hands had not been nailed to, to the cross, Jesus would have said this with his arms, punching upward into the darkness. It is finished. It is finished. And that one word uttered by Jesus was, was a powerful word. What did that word refer to? What, what exactly was finished? What exactly was Jesus talking about when he used this word Tetelestai. My first point this morning, we will answer that question in verse 30. Look at verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Jesus had done all that he had set out to do. All that God the Father had given him to do. He had completed his life's work in those brief 33 years that he lived on this earth. The word tetelestai is mentioned twice in these three verses. The first occurrence of tetelestai is in verse 28, where we read, After this, knowing that all was now finished, Jesus said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. This kind of helps us to see the, the meaning of this, the sixth word a little more clearly. When Jesus said, It is finished, the entire scripture, from, from the very first to the last, in the law and the writings and the prophets was finished and accomplished in him. Let me add more context to this to make it a little more clearer this morning. Sorry, this afternoon. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus said, I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. The word completed is the word tetelestai in the Greek. In Luke chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus said to his disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. The word fulfilled is the Greek word tetelestai. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. They work the word finish, uh, finish is the word tetelestai. In John chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish. That's the word tetelestai. And then in John chapter 17, verse 4, in his prayer before his arrest in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth, Father, by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Tetelestai. 
And finally, here in John chapter 19, verse 30, the same word is used. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, Tetaleste, it is finished. Jesus didn't come to the earth with a random approach to life. He came with a mission to fulfill. He knew what his task was, and he kept his eyes on heaven, and he accomplished every task that God had given him to do in those brief 33 years. The fundamental mission of Christ's time on earth was to fulfill God's plan of saving the lost, the work of redemption, the work of redemption. And Christ fulfilled this mission. In John chapter 20, shortly after this passage, after Jesus had been crucified, after Jesus had been buried, after Jesus rose from the dead, having finished the mission given by his Father, remember Jesus appears to his disciples and what does he do? He commissions them. He commissions them. Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Once he had fulfilled his work of redemption, he now commissions his disciples. And then after this, in Matthew 28, Jesus again appears to his disciples and says to them in verse 18 to verse 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the great commission that we commonly refer to. But it was given to the disciples after Jesus had fulfilled his mission of redemption. Jesus knew that his earthly mission was finished. He knew what he had accomplished. But now he gives the church a mission. And the mission was to make known to the world of his accomplished redemption. And as we see clearly here in Matthew 18, sorry, Matthew 28 and John chapter 20, the mission was to make disciples of Jesus. The church was to make disciples of Jesus. And even though the Lord finished the mission that he had set out to do, the human aspect of this great commission is still not finished yet. And Christ's mission is finished. He had accomplished everything that he set out to do. There's nothing really we can add to Christ's mission. But the mission of the church is still ongoing. John Piper, one of my favorite authors, wrote a, a book that really changed my, my life, changed my idea and my understanding of ministry. It's a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. If you ever find it, I would encourage you to read it. I think it's here in the bookstore. But he says in that book, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Then he goes on to say, when this age is over and the countless 
millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Missions exist because there are people on this earth that are not worshiping God, that still need to worship God, the called. But I wonder this morning, is your response to the cross one of awe and one of wonder? Are you amazed? Are you excited about this redemption that has been accomplished by our loving Savior? As God's children, as we see in John 19 and Matthew 28, we have a responsibility to share this news. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation. What is your response to that this morning? You know, we have the privilege and joy to facilitate a reunion between God and the lost through Jesus' finished work on the cross. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters of God. Maybe you're not so excited about that this morning. Maybe that doesn't fill you with awe and wonder. And the reason for that lack of excitement may, may very well be that you need to be reconciled firstly to God yourself first. Are you convinced of the fact that, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Are you convinced that Jesus' work of redemption on the cross was, was accomplished for you? And for those who are convinced this morning, remember we have a story to tell to the nations. I recently read an article written by a father whose daughter was serving as a, as a, a nursing student during the, the COVID pandemic. And in the article, he expresses his concern about the risks of her, of her job. But at the same time, he shares his joy knowing that his daughter is convinced that, in Jesus, that Jesus' work of redemption has reconciled his, his daughter to God. And that as a result, she has been transformed into a Christ follower who, who serves and sacrifices for the sake of the mission God has given all Christians to make Jesus known among all nations. But the, in his article, um, he writes the following. He says, can you imagine rushing your loved one to the hospital, gasping for breath and clinging to life, only to discover all the the doctors and nurses walking to the parking lot, getting in their cars and heading home. The hospital is abandoned. The, the doors are chained. And in the greatest hour of need, when life and death hang in the balance, those trained to help cannot be found. In this pandemic, even more tragic would be the loss of the witness of the church displayed among the nations. A people condemned by their sin have no greater need than for someone to point them to Christ. Thankfully, the church hasn't surrendered. You know, in New Life Church, we are, we are God's ambassadors for Christ here on this earth to be a witness for Him. We are His ambassadors here on this earth to display His glory and grace among the nations, among a people who are, who are sick maybe not with COVID, but who are sick with the disease of sin. We are His ambassadors in a dark place. 
Are you motivated to see God's glory extended to the ends of the earth? Are you motivated to see God's glory extended in the area that God has placed you? Are we willing to do everything we can to let people know of Christ's finished work on the cross? Are we willing to tell people about Jesus' accomplished redemption? God has brought us together as His people to this place. Here in the UAE, in Abu Dhabi. Not so that we can chase temporary fleeting pleasures and and make money and, and get rich. But rather so that we can help those lost in darkness become worshippers of the true and the living God. It's no accident that the Lord has brought you here to Abu Dhabi. We hear testimony after testimony of, of people who have moved to the UAE who for the first time are, are able to hear the gospel and, and turn to faith in Jesus. I think it was Vincent who said to me, why did the Lord bring me to a Muslim country to hear about Jesus? What seems impossible with man is possible with God, isn't it? It's not a coincidence. And it leads to my second point. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Turn there with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. The work of redemption was finished. Let me read there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. The scriptures say, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth, according to His purpose. We have redemption through His blood. Did you see those? There was a purpose. The purpose of Jesus coming to earth in the first place was to atone for the the sins of all mankind. He was born to die. And in so doing, he paid for the the penalty for your sins and for mine. Tetaleste. It was accomplished. But that word was a commercial word used in Jesus' day. Back then, if you bought something on on which you made a payment, maybe, maybe a house, for example, when you came to the final payment, you would say, Tetaleste. It is finished. It is paid in full. The debt is finished. The payment book is, is empty. And no further payments were required. When Jesus used this one word that day on the cross, he was saying that a payment had been made. The final payment for our redemption had been made in full. This is what he was referring to in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus had fulfilled the law. He had paid the full requirement of the law, as we see in Matthew chapter 5. The law said that where there was sin, there must be death. This all began, we know, in the Garden of of Eden when when God told Adam and Eve not to disobey and and eat from the forbidden tree because if they did, they would 
they would separate themselves from the, the intimate relationship with God that they enjoyed. And as a consequence, they would surely die. And Adam and Eve, as we know, they did disobey God. And they passed down now that, that sin nature, that, that tendency to do this to all subsequent generations, to you and to me. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and Romans 6, verse 23, tell us all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us disobey God. And the wages of sin, the debt that incurs for all of this is ultimately death. It is death. And this is why the, the Hebrew people in the Old Testament sacrificed animals. Because they knew that this was a, a way of admitting their sin. They knew that an atonement was, was necessary for this. And even back then, they knew, as, as Hebrews 9 tells us, that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of their sins. And the problem was those animal sacrifices could never permanently remove sin. Those animal sacrifices, the priests could never say tetaleste because it never paid the penalty in full. It covered it. The Old Testament priests were not allowed to sit when they were on duty as a way to symbolize the fact that their work was not complete. It was never done. They continually made sacrifices. And the people of that day who died in faith, they knew this, they understood this, and they believed that the last payment for their sins was still yet to come. They knew the Messiah was coming who would do this. And they looked forward to that day. And Jesus was that final, once for all, sacrifice that was made. His death on the cross was a payment that covered all the iniquities of mankind. And Jesus Christ could die for us all. He could shed his blood and in so doing pay our entire sin debt because he himself had never sinned. He himself was sinless. Jesus owed no debt to any person. Jesus was the only perfect sin offering. And because of that, he could carry our sin, as 2 Corinthians tells us in chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew he who had no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And his sacrifice on that cross is a, is a free gift received by faith and repentance. And thank God that Jesus' work on redemption, his work of redemption is perfectly finished. Christ paid the ransom price and he redeemed us from our sins before God. And thank God for this good news. Amen. Let me apply this this morning. Again, is this truth a treasure that we hold close to our hearts? And how faithful are we being with this treasure? Are we burying it in the ground? Or are we investing this treasure? Are we sharing this message of hope with, with others who are enslaved in their sins? Or do we take this life-saving gospel message for granted or do we look for opportunities to share Christ with others many of you will remember Heather and 
Hunter Rackley. They were from the U.S., and Hunter served as an elder here for a few years at, at New Life Church. And Heather told me the story of how they ended up coming to the, the UAE. Heather shared that Hunter had said to her one day that he was considering finding employment in, in Abu Dhabi, and she was horrified by the prospect. Who in their right mind would want to go to the Middle East to work? And Heather went online, and she tried to find reasons why this was a bad idea. So she went to Google, Faithful Google, and she came across an article titled, Should You Live in Abu Dhabi, written by John Piper. It's a great article. <laughs> Google it, and you'll find it. Read it. John Piper, after visiting, visiting and, and visit, uh, ministering here in, in Abu Dhabi, he wrote this article in 2013. He says, I've been told by more than one person here that they have spoken more about their Christian faith with interested Emiratis than they did for 20 years in the United States. And one reason is that, unlike America, virtually everyone here is religious. You see it in their dress. It is natural to talk about religion. And those kinds of conversations are not regarded as awkward. And then he concludes his article by saying that the global significance of filling this Arab region with gospel-focused, God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated churches seems immeasurable. If you have five years of successful experience in your vocation and a passion to be part of spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ, consider sending your CV to a company in the UAE. That was one sentence. <laughs> he must have been a, a student of the Apostle Paul. And after trying to find reasons why not to go to Abu Dhabi, this was all the reason Heather needed to be convinced that her and her family could make a difference for the glory of God here in the UAE. So what am I saying? Am I saying that in order to be a faithful steward of the completed work of redemption, you have to move to Abu Dhabi? Maybe. In our context, maybe that's what the Lord is saying to us. Maybe He's already said that to you. I know that any any, any Christian can be a faithful steward of the gospel wherever the Lord chooses to use him. Don't misunderstand me. I understand that. But folks, the Lord has chosen to bring you to Abu Dhabi. And the Lord has in His wisdom and, and His providence, He has opened doors of opportunity for you to be working and living in this Muslim, nature, in this Muslim na nation in the heart of the, the Arab world. Again, coincidence? I don't believe so. I challenge you today to, to look for the word coincidence in the Bible. It's not there. You're not going to find it. God is sovereign. He works by His, not, everything works by His sovereign hand. God has sovereignly brought you here for a purpose. And if you're a Christian, and that purpose is to be an ambassador for Christ. If you're a Christian, that purpose is to extend your Savior's glory to the ends of the earth. 
We must be faithful. We must be intentional about sharing this good news with those around us who are lost in their sin and trapped in darkness. We must be faithful and intentional in our part in our Lord's great commission. And what needs to drive all of this is a rock-solid confidence in the sovereignty of God over all things, including the place where you work and the place where you live. That leads to my third point. We see the power of death was finished that day on the cross. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6, if you would quickly. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and verse 5. We read, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like this. I know all human beings fear death. Death is the great unknown, and we don't want to face it. We don't want to stop living because life teaches us that death eventually comes to every man, isn't it? We've all experienced it in one form or another. And from the moment of conception, our own death is, is inherently part of our, of our physical nature. Death is a fact. We are all born with an expiration date. Calvin Miller, a pastor and an author, he, he writes, he says, Death is a fact more unpleasant than life, but a fact that is just as certain as life. It becomes the grim reminder that we are not merely watching a clock, we are watching our passing. For some, that's terrifying. But for the Christian, the good news of the gospel teaches us that on that resurrection Sunday, the power of death was finished too. We know that day on the cross, Jesus did die. He didn't just swoon, he really did experience death. We know a soldier stabbed the dead body of Christ with a spear to make sure that he was dead. He was buried in a grave to, to prove that his body was lifeless. And Jesus did, did not die of a, of a broken heart as poets like to, to believe. And as we read in the, the scriptures before he died, he committed his spirit to God for safekeeping. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And John MacArthur, he, he comments on this. He, he writes, he says, Everything had come to pass exactly as he said it would. Not only Jesus, but also his killers and the mocking crowd, together with Pilate, Herod, and the Sanhedrin, all had perfectly fulfilled the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God to the letter. Christ calmly and majestically displayed his utter sovereignty to the end. It seemed to all who loved him, and even many who cared little for him, like a supreme tragedy. But it was the greatest moment of victory in the history of redemption. And Christ would make that fact gloriously clear when he burst triumphantly from the grave just days later. And we know on the third day, God raised Jesus, who was truly and really dead, from the grave. And he lives forever. And he offers us 
eternal life as well. And because of the cross, death no longer has power over us. We know that for Christians, death is not just a, a gateway to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 tells us, to be dead is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Death is not just a gateway to heaven. It is a gateway for our communion with God, our communion with our Savior. Just like that repentant thief, remember? That day, we know, the day we die, we will be with Jesus in paradise. And today, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven with the keys of death and uh, death hanging on his belt. And he is waiting for the hour when the Father says to him, Now go, go and bring all the elect to us in heaven. And the archangel will sound the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will, will rise from the grave, and all the elect will join our Savior in the sky to spend all eternity with him in glory. And death will be forever gone. And that day will mark the end of missions. That day, the countless millions of the redeemed from every tribe and nation will fall on their faces before the throne of God, worshiping Jesus. And missions will be no more needed because the earth will be filled with worshipers of Jesus. Heaven will be filled. That's an exciting thought, isn't it? I hope that is for you. And every Sunday, you know, at New Life Church, I'm reminded of the, this wonderful promise when so many people represented from so many nations gather together, worshiping our Savior. I'm thankful for this little glimpse into heaven that we get to enjoy every time we gather together. I'm thankful for the reminder here this morning as we sang to our Lord in, in, with one voice, with different accents. Walters, I love your, your outfit. Thank you for wearing that today. A reminder that we are from different cultures, worshiping the same Savior. Christ has conquered death. He has conquered sin. And we celebrate His resurrection every Sabbath day. And we long for the day when missions will, will no longer be needed, when, when we all will perfectly worship our Lord in sinless unity. But for now, but for now, we have the responsibility and the privilege of sharing this good news with others wherever the Lord puts us. For now, we have the privilege and responsibility of loving the glory of God and doing everything we can to display that to the ends of the earth while we still have time. Hebrews 9 verse 27 tells us, it is appointed unto men once to die. Let us not waste the opportunities and the time the Lord has given us, folks. And let me finish this morning by reminding you of what we all have to look forward to. Can I do that? Turn with me to Revelation quickly. Revelation chapter 5. Let me read these verses to remind you of what we all have to look forward to. May this motivate us this morning to be reminded of the mission the Lord has given to us. Revelation 5, verse 1. The 
scriptures tell us, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. This is the apostle John peeping into heaven and seeing this vision and giving us a little description of what heaven is like. And he says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Verse three, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Verse 7, and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11, then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Pray with me that we will look forward to that day when countless millions of the redeemed from every tribe and every nation will fall on their faces before the throne of God, worshipping our Savior Jesus. Pray with me this month that we will love the glory of God and that we'll want to do everything we can to extend that glory to the ends of the earth. And pray with me that New Life Church will be faithful stewards in this mission that God has given to us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to atone for our sins, that we may have peace with you. Thank you, Lord, for the finished work of Christ on the cross. And this morning, we praise your holy name. We think of the millions worshiping you in heaven. And we look forward to the day when we will be with them, bowing down, worshiping our King of all kings, our Lord of all lords. Lord, fill us today, fill us this month, fill us this year, Lord, with the knowledge of your glory that covers the seas, 
It covers the earth as the water covers the sea. And motivate us this month especially, Lord, to be faithful stewards of this glorious gospel of salvation that saves sinners like us. We pray, Lord, for your glory to be known here on this earth as it is in heaven. And use us, Lord, as your church in this mission that you have given to us to make your name famous among the nations. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.